I am really hoping that his sweet, sweet presence will continue as I speak to you. Um, Good morning. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name's Morag. I'm one of the home group leaders here at Kingdom Vineyard, and I'm also the current storehouse coordinator, which is our food bank compassion ministry. And as a church, we are knee-deep in our current series of talks on 2 Corinthians, and my bit comes from chapters 8 and 9. I'm going to reread the start of chapter 8, which Toby spoke on last week, as I'm going to briefly borrow a bit from there. The passage deals with Paul, our author, giving some practical instructions for a collection um, of money that he's gathering for the church in Jerusalem. But um, in actual fact, the passage is really quite clear about this, so as you hear it, it should all make sense. So let's drive straight in and read chapters 8 and 9. I was going to read it from my Bible, but I've got it in big print on the, on the page, so I'm going to read that instead. But it is in the Bible, so you can check. You can check. So at the start of chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want, to know, you, want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, 
who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. As you know, a lot of what we've been drawing, sorry, drawing out 2 Corinthians is about the min- ministry of reconciliation. So I've got two points that I'd like to pull out of today's passage. One is generosity reconciling churches. And two, generosity reconciling people to God. But you'll be pleased to know after that long passage, I don't have a line-by-line exposition planned. (laughs) What I would like to do is almost to lean on the passage, but ultimately take you on a wee journey of adventure in generosity. I want to share with you a bit of what I think Paul was after from the Corinthians, a bit of my journey, and to get you hooked on the absolute joy of generosity. So, be honest. How many of you are thinking, here we go, it's the storehouse coordinator, she's going to bash us over the head with a Bible passage and a thinly veiled guilt trip to try and get more money, more food, or more volunteers? Well, Let's just lay that to rest. I'm not going to do that. I don't really think the guilt trip works anyway. But in our passage, 
I was beginning to wonder if that was what Paul was up to. Back at the start of chapter 8, Paul brags about how generous the Macedonians are. At verses 2 and 3, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. But if we jump to chapter 9 and verse 2, he's already been bragging about the Corinthians to the Macedonians. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that you and Achaia, that's the region where Corinth was, that you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm stirred most of them to action. Is Paul pitting them against each other? Remember, the Corinthians were a wealthy bunch, as we heard from Jason a few weeks ago. They're living in a prosperous frontier town on a very profitable trade route. Was Paul trying to embarrass the well-off Corinthians showing up against the poor Macedonians who had already given so generously? Well, just pulling those verses out of the letter like that, we might well jump to that conclusion. But if we thought that an appeal to meet a fundraising target was Paul's motive, we'd be sadly mistaken. That's too low a goal. Giving and acts of generosity change us, change those around us, and bring us closer to God. That's the goal. Reconciliation and relationship. This collection from the Corinthian and Macedonian churches was for the church in Jerusalem. It's mentioned, actually, in another of Paul's letters in Romans. Romans chapter 15, verse 25 for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. But as some of you will know, Paul's history with the church in Jerusalem had not always been plain sailing. You can read a bit of that story in Galatians, which is another of Paul's letters, so I'm guessing it's his side of the story. Before Paul met Jesus in a rather dramatic vision on the road to Damascus, he'd been a rather nasty character. He had been vehemently and violently opposed to anything and anyone who he saw as polluting the purity of God's people, the Jews. And this included Christians, who he persecuted to the point of having them put to death. He was that bad. So you can understand a bit of reluctance and suspicion on the side of the leaders in Jerusalem. Is this conversion for real? Is Paul teaching the right things, doing the right things, and representing Jesus well? So in Galatians chapter 2, we find Paul presenting himself and his message to the leaders in Jerusalem. At verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation And meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Then jumping to verse 9. James, Cephas, that's Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should remember the poor. 
the very thing I had been eager to do all along. It seems the guys in Jerusalem had no problem with Paul's message and recognized his calling to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And in working out their differences and laying aside any suspicions, the main thing they highlight is to remember the poor. The collection from Corinth and Macedonia was important to show the church in Jerusalem that the agreement wasn't just a head nod, yes, I agree, but a practical witness to say, this is important to me too. Giving to the poor is something that churches can agree on. And it brings churches together. Just think of the myriad of denominations and churches that support Tear Fund or Christian Aid, CAFOD, and the varied backgrounds of students that uh, support Just Love and the uh, International Justice Mission, and even Storehouse. We're supported by 11 churches, and we've got volunteers representing five of them. I think for any relationship, it's good to focus on what we have in common. My mum has recently introduced me to the writings and recordings of William Barclay, who was a professor of theology at Glasgow University in the 70s, and he was a great fan of Paul. And about boasting of the Macedonians to the Corinthians and vice versa, he said this. It is typical of Paul and the greatness of his heart. For the whole point is that he never criticised one church to another. He praised one to another. He never quoted one church, to one church the faults and feelings of another. He always quoted the things he could praise. It is no bad standard by which to test a man or a woman to watch whether he delights in the retailing of the best or worst about others. Believe me, I have found it ridiculously easy to praise our fellow churches for what they do for the poor and for our community, and especially for their incredible and consistent support for Storehouse. Let's celebrate their generosity as they celebrate ours. Even in the rockiest of rocky relationships, this can be the first and easiest step of reconciliation. So I'm hoping that I've made a good point for point one, generosity reconciling churches. And as a transition into point two, generosity reconciling people to God, I want to lean a little into verses 16 to 23 in chapter 8. In these verses, Paul explains the practicalities of the collection with specific attention paid to vouching for the guys that will be collecting the money and travelling with Paul to deliver it. That's Titus and two unnamed brothers. In verses 20 and 21, he says this. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. He is super keen that there is utter transparency in the collecting and transporting of the money. It was to be completely above board, and more importantly, to be seen to be completely above board. This is more to protect the churches he represents rather than his own reputation. On this point, St. Andrew's University professor Tom Wright says this. 
he, Paul, is desperately concerned that the world will look at the young and small Christian movement and see it, not as a variation on a well-known theme, people travelling around teaching odd doctrines as a way of earning a living, but as the radical and challenging new thing it really is. The gospel isn't about self-seeking, but self-giving. To leave any other impression is not only to sully one's own reputation, but to deny the very basis of the gospel itself. Paul's highlighting of the practicalities is good advice that still stands. With all the accusations levelled at churches these days and throughout history, it is still important we don't ruin our message by treating money or the gifts people give us lightly. So hold us, as your leaders, accountable for this. Ask questions. Find out who the trustees are. Ask them. Uh, if you have any, anything you want to know about the financial dealings of the church or of Storehouse, ask me. Ask Toby and Carol. Ask Jesse. We want... Um, it's a tremendous privilege to administer these, the gifts that people give to the church. We must be above board and go the extra mile to be completely honest and transparent so that our message is not compromised. We don't want to fall at the first hurdle in trying to reconcile people to God. So after Paul's dealt with the practicalities, the next point he moves on to is what does, generous, what does being generous do for you? for the giver so in chapter 9 verses 6 to 8 remember this whoever sows, sows sparingly will reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will reap generously each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I came across a blog by a guy I knew from Aberdeen Vineyard, Liam Burns. And it was titled, The Neuroscience of Giving. And in it, he quotes from several scientific journals one of which rejoices in the name the International Journal of Happiness and Development. I, just, I do love a good scientific journal. The first thing noted from the journal was that the act of giving releases happiness chemicals in our brains. Dopamine and endorphins, which give a sense of euphoria, and oxytocin, which produces feelings of tranquility, serenity, and inner peace. Essentially, giving triggers the pleasure and reward system in our brains. We are hardwired to give. We are hardwired to enjoy giving. But the study goes on to discover that if the giving is trivial or not meaningful in some way, or given grudgingly, you don't get those same effects. Verse 7 again. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's almost as if Paul has read the Journal of Happiness. <laughs> God wants you to reap the benefits of your generosity. He knows it will make you feel good. He made you that way. 
I get such a kick when science in all its searching comes up with the findings that God has revealed to us in his word centuries ago. God made human beings in his image. We have some things wired into our very beings that reflect his nature, whether we know him or not. And it would seem that generosity is one of those things. And I can definitely say that giving and being generous can make you feel good. And I would always consider myself a generous person. Although in the past, what I've decided in my heart to do was to give to causes or to other people rather than get my hands dirty myself. Here's a confession. I'm not naturally drawn to compassion ministry. Sorry. No, no. When I approached Toby and Carol to offer to work with the church, I basically offered them one day a week of my time for however they wanted to use me. They said they needed a storehouse coordinator and asked if I would do it. To be honest, if they'd asked me to clean the loose, I would have done it. And running storehouse filled me with about as much excitement. (laughs) But I still said yes. God worked in my heart after I said yes. In fact, almost exactly a year ago, I heard a guy called David Ruth speak on that verse from Galatians that I mentioned earlier. All they asked was that we should remember the poor. And I was undone. It's that simple. God delights in it. His favor rests on remembering the poor. Jesus says in Matthew, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And I also remembered, as a copper might say, I had previous. I think I was in second year at university. So we'd have been about 19, 20. Same age as some of you guys out there. And I was helping the the CU, the Christian Union. We had an open air meeting planned at an amphitheatre on the banks of the Clyde near the centre of Glasgow. We carted all our sound equipment down there, set up and rehearsed in the afternoon, ready for the evening event. And once the equipment was set up, we had to stay with it. This was Glasgow. It was either going to get wet or get nicked, or both. (laughs) Now, the amphitheatre was also a popular haunt for homeless guys and alcoholics. We got talking to them and listened to their stories and even had a laugh. For the first time, I realized just how easy it was to end up in that situation. One guy was an engineer, I think. Um, He was certainly educated and in a professional job, but he got made redundant. He couldn't make the mortgage payments, so he turned to drink to try and cope. He lost his house, his wife, his family in less than a year. My friend Adam and I got talking to another guy, Tam, He'd lived in Inverness, so we talked about the Highlands. He took us along the river a wee bit to show us the bin shelter where he'd been sleeping. And it all got a bit too much for me. I was quite young, a bit naive, and I had a pretty sheltered upbringing, really, and I'd never seen or appreciated what it was like to be homeless. Adam wrote a poem about that day 
about me and Tam. And I'd like to read it to you. I look at you, I can see that you're crying, silently as the river flows by. Standing there, the cold makes you shiver, the sun has gone, dark clouds in the sky. A friend holds you, she shares your sorrow. A friend holds you, you're not alone. Tears fall, she wipes them away for you. You're crying now, but the hurt's not your own. I come to you, I say, why are you crying? And you reply, I'm crying for you. I take your hand, it's soft as I hold it in mine. I can't understand it, but I'm crying too. Oh, who am I that your heart should be moved for me? I'm nothing here trying to forget the years. But I see in your eyes a man who you live for. It's his love that shows in your tears. After that first meeting, I had quite a lot of contact with Tam for a while. He ended up in prison after handing himself in for something. And another friend and I went to visit him in Berlini, but that's another story. (laughs) We managed to get him into a Bethany hostel when he was released. But unfortunately, Tam didn't manage to kick the drink. And he had to leave the hostel, and we lost touch. So why did I tell you that story? It's not a happy Hollywood ending. But those guys we met that day, as soon as we told them that we were Christians, they said, oh, like the Salvation Army. We love Christians. You're all right. On that day, we stood on the shoulders of every other Christian that had given them a cup of tea, a hot meal, or a place to stay. The Salvation Army, Bethany, or the lassie that bought them a sandwich and a coffee out of Greg's on our way past. In chapters 9, verses 12 to 14, Paul says, The service you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. What we do, our acts of generosity, results in thanks and praise to God. Our God is honoured by people who don't know him when we do simple acts of kindness and generosity. They see him in us, as Adam so graciously said about me in that poem. Even if they don't know it's Jesus, they know it's different. And I believe that they come that bit closer to the Father. So what do we do? I can't actually answer that for you. As Paul says, decide in your heart what to give. But know this, we are wired for generosity. We reflect God's nature when we are generous. So be generous with your words, generous with your time, generous with your money. Commit random acts of kindness. Remember the poor. When God asks you to give, give and give gladly. I promise you it is an utter joy and you will get hooked. Do anything, but do something. This is kingdom work. 
the ministry of reconciliation and everyone gets to play. Why don't you stand and I'll pray for you.